You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. response. About 150 questions or topics came back in uh, from that anonymous survey uh, that we got to participate in. And um, I'm sorry to say that my question on whether or not Adam and Eve had belly buttons uh, was not selected uh, as a topic. Uh, But thankfully, some some really good questions and some tough questions uh, were selected that that Roger and Andrew are going to tackle today. And and these, these topics ultimately have to do with how we view and relate to God, and how we view and relate to others, and what a response uh, to that can be. So, um, like I said, there's some pretty tough questions, and our prayer is that, um, that this discussion may help remove some roadblocks uh, in, in, in some of our faith, right? And, um, and that ultimately, uh, it'll help us uh, better respond uh, to God and, uh, and to others, So, beginning today and over the next four weeks, uh, we're going to dive into the following topics uh, to try to um, answer some of the most recent, most frequently asked questions. Um, So those are, uh, today, disasters and tragedies. Uh, Next week, um, loving and responding to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community. Uh, The following week, creation, end times, heaven and hell. And then we'll wrap it up with Jesus religion, and politics. These are all the things we're not supposed to talk about, right? So I'm just glad I get to ask the questions and not answer them. So I, um, on behalf of the church, uh, Roger and Andrew and the entire leadership team, um, we want to thank you for, um, you know, the boldness uh, to, to take a shot at answering these questions, but the humility also that, uh, that goes along with it. So um, I'll introduce uh, you guys. So Roger Hendricks, uh, our senior minister, who's been ministering to us our church, uh, since its inception 19 years ago. And then Andrew Beal, who leads up our junior high and senior high uh, ministry. So before we get started, do you have any opening, opening remarks? Yeah, I do. And uh, first of all, I think uh, because of the seriousness and of these questions and uh, the, the challenge to answer them, let's, let's just begin with prayer and ask that God will uh, bless this time. So if you would, pray with me. Dear God, thank you for this time that we could uh, just have to join together and to pray and to worship you, but also, Father, uh, during this time that we try to answer some of these challenging questions by looking at your word. I pray that you'll guide our discussion, and I pray, Father, that uh, the things that will be said will be helpful uh, to everybody that's here. And Father, we pray that uh, we will keep looking to you. And keep looking to your word when we struggle uh, with questions we can't answer. And I pray that today we can make a step toward helping people maybe remove, as as Neil said, some roadblocks for their faith. And so we just pray that you'll be at work in this time. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. 
Well, as we uh, tackle these topics, I, I did want to, in addition to the prayer, say a few other words that I think are important as we kick off this series. One of the, uh, uh, some very important faith principles that we've had here at Southwest from the very conception of the church that I think have served us well are uh, this saying, and it really comes from church history, uh, but it, in essential beliefs, we have unity. In non-essential uh, beliefs, we have freedom. And in all uh, beliefs, we show love. This is a, a, a slogan and a principle that we've tried to operate from as a church. Uh, and I think it is so important for us to keep that in mind, especially during this series. Because some of the things that we're going to be talking about uh, during this series would fall in the category of non-essential uh, faith matters that are outside of the realm of maybe the core beliefs of the church and what we call everybody here at Southwest to rally around to, to be a member and to be unified on those things. And so with that said, uh, as we do our best to try to answer some of these tough questions, uh, I think it's important, especially when it's an area of a non-essential uh, for unity of our church, that it's important that we remember this, this principle in the non-essentials, give each other freedom uh, to sort some of these things out. And maybe we come to different conclusions. For example, we've been talking about in our, our ministry staff some of these great questions that we're going to try to start tackling. And we've even found among ourselves that at times we've disagreed. And that's okay because there's freedom. And so, and I'm committed that, that I'm going to give freedom to Andrew and Larry uh, on some of these non-essential matters to disagree with me, even when they're wrong, okay? So, uh, uh, you know, that's okay, and I'm going to still love them, all right? But, uh, but with that said, I just think that's some important ground rules for us to, as we get started here. All right, thank you. Um, all right, so the way this will work is we've got um, about four sets of uh, questions that go along with today's topics, uh, topic of disasters and tragedy. So I'll ask a question to one of you, and um, you'll have about seven minutes to respond. I'll sound a loud buzzer after that. All right, I I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. Um, and then you were tempted. For I was time. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, uh, and then uh, I'll kick it to the, the person not answering the primary questions to see if there's any additional responses. So the first one, is uh, to Andrew, uh, why do bad things happen to good people, and how do we cope when those bad things happen? Yeah, if there's a question that we would all have in common other four, it'd probably be this one. Um, we've all asked that probably several times in our walks with Jesus or exploring Jesus, and this question, why do bad things happen to people or good people, uh, it goes under another name called, it's, it's considered the rock of atheism. For those who have a uh, if there's any obstacle for anyone to believe in God, it typically comes down to suffering. It comes from that very uh, honest, open thought, you know, how could or why would a, an all-loving, all-powerful, um, all-present God allow any pain to come to his creation? It's an honest question. And uh, the, the answer to this question is very much going to permeate everything that we talk about from here on out. So this is pretty much the foundational or if we, you know, the umbrella casting over all of this. Uh, but even the question of why do bad things happen to good people, even that question uh, is somewhat skewed or it's, uh, has, I, I want to reword it. Because if we want to get to the root of that, what I would think really that question is, is why do bad things happen to me and why do bad things happen to the people I love? That's probably the more honest uh, version of that question. 
And if we're answering that, then we really need to take a look at, you know, the concept of good and bad, because even our sense of that is, it's all relative to us. Uh, I'll, I'll speak for my own self, maybe you can relate to this, uh, but if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm selfish, I'm sinful, and I'm judgmental, uh, hopefully not all the time, but if I'm deciding who's a good person and who's a bad person, uh, a good person is someone who sins as much or less than I do, or at least in the same way, and a bad person is someone who sins more than I do or who sins in a way that I don't approve of. That's pretty much how we get to decide who a bad person is and who a good person is. And even starting there, you can see how messed up that, that thought is. So in everything, when we have questions, we should go directly to Scripture. And there are a number of places we could jump in, but Romans 3 kind of spoke to my mind. Uh, in Romans 3, there's that, uh, there's that verse in verse 10. Uh, Paul is quoting the Old Testament. He says, As the Scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Now, even if you don't feel that applies to you now, you can point to a time in your life where like, yeah, that sounds like me, or yeah, that sounds like people I know. And probably the more famous, a lot of people have this one memorized, is the Romans 3.23 that we've likely heard a lot in our lives. And that's one that goes, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Uh, one challenge of this series is really, we're covering four questions today, really, if we picked out any one question, we could really spend an entire series on any one of these, so we have to be brief. But if we had more time, we would go down, you know, God has a standard, and, whenever, and everyone in this room falls short. And elsewhere in Scripture, it says the penalty for falling short is spiritual death. And for those of us who know Jesus, we know that he has paid for that, so that is a benefit of following Jesus. It's not what it's all about, but that's a benefit. Uh, what I want to start is everyone in this room, at least as far as Scripture defines it, everyone in this room is bad. Everyone in this room is, uh, we sin a lot. And my thinking is, uh, anytime we sin, we pretty much take on the mindset that uh, I think I can run my life better than God can. That's essentially the belief behind any sin that we do. And because of that, my thing is, uh, when we take on that prideful or arrogant attitude, we invite the consequences of that sin into our life. So, so long as we have a world full of sinners who are going to keep on sinning, then everyone's going to feel the effect of those sin. Everyone's going to feel the effect of those consequences. So the truth is, bad things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people, and just the same, good things happen to bad people, and good things happen to good people. That's how it's always been. That's how it's always going to be. So my thing is, all right, if we're Jesus followers, if we separate ourselves uh, from people who don't follow Jesus, we have to look at this suffering issue in a different way. It has to take on a different meaning, and I think it does. For those of us who call Jesus Lord and Savior... When bad things happen or tragedy come our way, uh, we get to, at least we have the option of looking at it in the perspective of eternity. Plus, it also says elsewhere in Scripture that when we, take, when we endure hardship, then we get to the choice of, you know, do we join Jesus in his suffering and even his death? We have that option. Uh, Paul, the apostle, he has some wonderful words about grief and hardship and how we treat that in 2 Corinthians. Here's what he writes. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And then about 10 verses later, he picks it back up. He says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. That's eternity. That's heaven. 
For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. One of the joys of following Jesus is we get the option of letting Jesus take the burdens of that. And even if we have trouble with that, our present troubles on this life, compared to an eternity of painlessness and joy and no conflict, nothing evil, it makes it smaller. Those who don't follow Jesus, they don't get to experience that. And even those of us who do, uh, you know, I know Roger, he's going to hit on the book of Job here in a moment. But if you know Job's story, uh, it's this 40-chapter deal in the Old Testament, and uh, he endures every hardship imaginable, death of children, illness coming upon himself, loss of property, loss of money, every bad thing that can happen does. And early on, Job has a choice. He can honor God in this, or he can't. It comes in chapter 2. It says, his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die which a lot of the world would have us do that when bad things happen. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Job chose the uh, posture of, Yeah, this is suffering, but I'm going to choose to let God be a part of this and even help define this and walk through this with me. But to speak to the coping side, which I think it might be the more important of the two, two questions that were offered, it's, um, and this is making it way too simple, but it's just the nature of answering these questions. We have to be uh, simple with this. We cope with this by cultivating a relationship with Jesus day in and day out. So many of us only want God around when the hard times come. And when we do that, we treat God as really nothing more than a therapist. And from my experience, when we treat God that way, uh, our faith is only going to be super frustrating and we're going to be angry a lot of the time. So Cultivated day in and day out, which again, that we could spend an entire series on. Okay, thank you, Andrew. All right, Roger, any additional thoughts on that question? Well, I love the fact that, that Andrew pointed us to Job. Um, the book of Job, if you've never read it, is a, is a fascinating book. It's, it, it raises a bunch of questions that gets you thinking. Uh, some scholars believe that Job was possibly the very first book of the Bible that was written down and recorded. Some think that Job was possibly uh, a contemporary of Abraham, okay? So that's way back there. Uh, and, and if that's the case, I think that's significant because that tells me that this, this struggle, this human struggle with how do you deal with suffering? How do you deal with pain and suffering and hard things that happen in our lives? That that question is as old as, as human beings. And that God has, has given us this book so that we can wrestle with that. Now, at the beginning, as, as, as Andrew pointed out, uh, Job doesn't quite understand the origin of all this stuff that's coming his way. And, and Honestly, sometimes we don't understand why are these things happening to us. And yet I think in the midst of those times of question and times of uncertainty, I think it's important for us to take our cues from Job because even at the very beginning when he lost uh, even some of his children, uh, this is what he said in Job 1 verse 21. He says, I came naked from the mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. I think maybe that's a good place to start as we struggle with why do bad things happen is, well, let's, let's follow Job's cue, and let's not go down the route of blaming God for it. Good. Thank you. All right, so... Um... 
this next question actually uh, is very similar to the first. So if you want more about um, why do bad things happen to good people, uh, fear not. We're not done with that one. This one dovetails uh, right from it. So, uh, Roger, it goes to you. Why do natural disasters have to occur? This is, this is a great question. In many ways, I believe natural disasters um, are a tougher arena to deal with than many of the bad things that happen in our world, a human tragedy that you can actually point to uh, being uh, from evil, okay? Uh, so, for example, if you go back at the very beginning of, of the Bible, okay, in Genesis, um, Adam and Eve, they have some freedom, right? Uh, there really was very few restrictions. They had a lot of freedom, but, but they abused the freedom that they were given. And once they did that, Sin entered the world and all kinds of bad things happened. You even see the result of that in their family. Uh, you see their oldest son, Cain, kills their son, Abel. And so you see that murder is as old as the first family uh, on this planet. And so I think when we deal with tragedies in our world, whether it be uh, the recent Orlando shooting or whether it be the, the terrible shooting in Dallas or, or even in Munich this past week, I think that sometimes we can sort through that and say, okay, well, that, but that came from evil, okay? That was evil intent that somebody was, was trying. So I'm not going to blame God with that because I understand that this is somebody abusing the freedom that God gave them. And in that process, they hurt and even killed other people that we would describe as innocent in that. But with that said, the question of natural disasters is tough when people put the label of something bad happening in our world and we call it an act of God. And I think it's important, even as we mentioned Job, if you go back to Job's story, when there's this bad stuff that happens at the beginning of the book of Job, even his contemporaries would describe it as coming from heaven. But if you read the story and dig into it, you find that the source, the origin of those bad things were not from the Lord, but it was from the evil one, Satan. Now, of course, that raises a question that actually nobody raised, but I'll raise it. Well, then where did Satan come from, right? Uh, You know, did God create Satan? Well, I believe that God created a being that was originally, again, from the book of Job, I've come to this conclusion, that was originally a part of God's heavenly court. Uh, But it appears that even angels have freedom and that this particular angel abused that freedom and rebelled against God and and we call him Satan. And he even led some other angels to follow him and that's part of his demonic band. And so now we've got this this struggle, uh, all starting with freedom God gives us, Uh, of good and evil. And so my take on all this is that that once sin entered the world, uh, again, going back to the beginning, God created, if you go back to the Genesis account, God created everything. He described it as good, in fact, or very good. But yet once sin entered the world, then we all have inherited a fallen world. And one of the consequences of sin is that even, if you go back and read the Genesis account, is that after Adam and Eve sin, that God even pronounces that there will be a curse on the earth. And so because of that, we have inherited a cursed earth. Uh, Listen to how 
uh, Romans 8, a, a section in the New Testament, describes this. It says in Romans 8, verse 20, against its will, all creation, the natural world, was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from the death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So here's my take on this whole thing is that God created this universe we live in, this world, and he created it to be good. There wasn't, in the Garden of of Eden, there wasn't uh, germs and disease and sickness and cancer and natural disasters. But once sin entered the world, then we see the emergence of germs, sickness, disease, natural disasters, and even death. So the next time that you want to get mad at somebody when there's a natural disaster, an earthquake and people are killed, or you receive a diagnosis or someone you love receives a diagnosis of cancer or someone's tragically, their life is cut short, instead of blaming God, I I want to suggest that we could blame the evil one and say, you know, this wasn't God's design. In fact, my picture of God is that God is a God that when we go through heartache, he's a God of compassion that's right there beside us crying and, and there to comfort us in the midst of that. But that's the result of living in a fallen world. Now, of course, from that, there comes all kinds of questions about specific ailments that people have and specific tragedies. For example, one person actually submitted the question, what is the useful purpose of snoring? That was the question they wanted to ask God, okay? Um, And when I read this question, I just assumed that my wife, Jane, had submitted this question. And I called her on it, okay? She denies it. I'm not yet convinced that that's the case. But, But here's what I would like to say to Jane or anybody else that's struggling with this question, is that I I guess I'll share with Jane is that that my resurrected body someday, when it's redeemed back to God's original intent, I won't snore, okay? So that's that's the hope that's there. But uh, with that said, though, there's there's tougher questions. That's an easy one. The tougher question is, why do children get cancer, disease, or have bad things happen to them? That's a tough one, isn't it? That's one I've wrestled with. And when I think of these tough questions, uh, as a Jesus follower, I often ask myself, I I wonder how Jesus would address that. If Jesus were here present, how would he address that question? How would he comfort that family? And so I try to think, is there anything in the Gospels where Jesus came alongside somebody? And I thought of this story. It's, It's recorded in John's Gospel. It's John chapter 9. And he, Jesus and the disciples come along this blind man. And the, the Bible, and he said, well, he's a, he's a grown man. You're asking a question about children. But yeah, but it says he was born blind. So at one point, this man was a little boy. And there were probably people asking the question, what? Why was he born blind? Well, the apostles, the, the disciples there with Jesus, they, they said to Jesus, you know, did he sin? Which, which, you know, you think about that. How could it have been his sin? He was born blind. But, or was it his parents' sin? 
And I love Jesus' answer to this tough question. He says, it was not because of his sin or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Another translation reads, so that the work of God might be displayed in him. Now, I'm not saying that God made this man blind from birth, nor am I suggesting that God brings cancer on to children's lives or health issues or bad things. But what I do believe is that a compassionate God who is probably as troubled as we are of the results of the fallen world that we live in, and I believe he is, that he's always looking for how to make good out of even bad things. And if we will have eyes of faith, we begin to ask the question, instead of why did this happen, instead we begin to ask the question, how could God's work How can God's glory be displayed even in this bad thing? It's a long answer, but that's my best (laughs) shot. Made sense. All right, thank you. Thank you for that. And um, Andrew, any follow-up thoughts on it? Uh, One thought came to mind. It's somewhat indirect to to what you talked about, but there's that question, you know, bad thing happens to whoever. We'll take me, for example. Typically, that first question or one of the first questions is, why me? Why did this happen to me? And the more I've thought about that, and that's pretty much my initial thought to any bad thing that might come my way, uh, if I'm being honest with myself, typically that comes from a place of uh, maybe arrogance and pride, I'd say. Because really it's like, you know, you know, I don't deserve this, you know, me, this awesome individual, shouldn't, nothing bad should happen to me at all. And then I was thinking like, you know, hopefully, you know, as, as my life goes on, I would hopefully, as, my, as Jesus changes my heart, as I keep walking with him, hopefully my goal is... Uh, that my initial question would be not why me, but why not me? I want to take more and more a posture of humility as I as I keep going older. So, somewhat indirect thought, but that's 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 what I thought of good, with this. Good. Thank you, Andrew. All right. So this next um, question, really, uh, as I read this one, I think it's it's more of a it's more of a prayer to God, and I think a lot of these are. Uh, things that many of us, when we're on our knees and are broken uh, and are searching for answers, uh, end up being prayers. Um, So this one is, uh, again, to Roger, why to God? Why didn't you intervene when you could have stopped it, could have stopped something bad from happening? Oh, again, another tough question. Yeah, you can have this one. Yeah. And, uh, And I think this is especially tough because... Many of us can point to situations, and some of us, because of our faith in God, we point to situations where we say, wow, I, I see God's hand at work here to intervene, to spare me or my family for something. Maybe some of you have had this experience I have uh, where you're getting ready to leave on a vacation and, and you're all packed, and then, you know, just kind of unexplainably you are delayed maybe for 30 minutes or so, and you're kind of frustrated by it and you're upset. And then you you deal with that and you get on the road and then you get going down the road and you see this terrible accident that would you maybe would have been right in the middle of. And you say, wow, okay, I, I could see maybe that was God's intervention to delay us. Or maybe you can think of a situation like Jay and I 
uh, think of when our children were young and we were still in Indianapolis before we moved here. Uh, I was playing softball with some guys from church and, and we took our small children to the softball field at that time. And, and Jane had our little daughter, Emily, at, uh, behind the backstop with the highest fence. We thought that was the safest place. And somebody hit a foul ball that went straight up and straight down on the other side of the, and it came within centimeters of Emily's head. And Jane and I were like, we felt like there was an angel that just kind of pushed it one centimeter so that, you know, she would be spared. And, and, and being people of faith, we say, okay, we can see God's hand at work. But then what's tough is when you have an individual or a family member that they say, well, why didn't God intervene to stop that tragedy that happened to me? And I think that's tough. And I think that it's in those times that honestly, we don't have an answer. We have to be humble enough to admit that we can't explain some of those things. In fact, in those times, I'm reminded of what was written 2,700 years ago by a prophet in the Old Testament, a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah said, uh, talking about the Lord, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In fact, I wonder, and, and please don't think less of me, but I sit around sometimes thinking about scenarios, and I, 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 I've wondered if in heaven, those that are in heaven will be able to have a, a video room, you know, in heaven where there's this room where you can go in and watch videotapes of, of how, seeing ways that God intervened in your life that you never recognized. And you go, wow. And then maybe those times that you're saying, why didn't God intervene here? Why didn't God intervene in this situation? That maybe God plays the videotape and we see the reason why he didn't. Because maybe there's something at work bigger than us that God was at work to accomplish. And so I think that's, that's important for us as we wrestle with this. Now, another question that came on this, uh, this same venue uh, was why God allows strong Christian families to lose children. I think as we wrestle with that question, it's important for us to understand that Jesus' followers are not promised that because they have decided to follow Jesus, that they will be spared heartache and tragedies that so often occur in this fallen world. We have to be reminded that even in Jesus' family, his own mother had to watch her son tragically die in excruciating pain. She was not spared that. In fact, my favorite example of wrestling with this question of how do you make sense of when a, a Christian family, somebody's trying to serve God and then they have a child that uh, they lose. Uh, I think of King David. Uh, David was the king of Israel about a thousand years before Christ, but he, he had a heart for God. And, and if you go back and read the story, it's recorded in 2 Samuel 12. Uh, David has a, a, an infant son that is on the verge of dying. And the way that he deals with that, being a person of faith, he, he goes to the temple and he fasts and he prays 
and, and he mourns and he asks God to intervene. And, and all of his attendants, you know, he was the king of Israel, and all the attendants and all the people were watching him, and then they received the news that his son had died. And they're fearful to go take that news to King David. And, and when they take it to King David, he un, you know, suddenly gets up, cleans his face off, and goes back to change clothes and go on with his life. And they're like shocked. And they said, you know, why are you reacting like this? You were mourning when he was when he was on the verge of death, now that you've received news that he's dead, you're acting like this and you're just going on with life. And this is, this is what King David said. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. And I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. The only way that King David could have that attitude is that he had the eternal perspective that that Andrew was talking about earlier. He had the eternal perspective that the Apostle Paul had when he said, "For for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so, as I think of the real possibility of someday me having to face some kind of disease in my life or having some heartache in my family, I hope I can have the faith that Andrew talked about earlier to not, to not get stuck in the question, why me? But to ask that question, why not me? I mean, we all live in a fallen world, why not me? But then also to follow King David's cue and say, okay, well, what next? What does it mean next for me to serve and honor God even in the midst of this heartache? All right, thank you. Um, Andrew, any, any follow-up thoughts on that? Uh, just one? a very brief follow-up thought. Uh, you mentioned um, that scenario where, you know, maybe we get to heaven one day and we get to watch those videotapes of when, you know, God maybe intervened. I just want to say it's probably DVD or Blu-ray now. That's, that's true. They probably got over the videotapes. That's all I had. Good clarification because I saw a lot of people about raising their hands wanting Good to point. respond to that one. Sorry so. I got stuck in the past on that one. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Um, okay, so this, uh, this final one is for, for Andrew, and you can start thinking of your retorts to, to Andrew at this point. Um, Andrew, uh, why should we continue praying for years when there's no, um, no change or answer to that prayer? Yeah, if I would have submitted any of these four questions, it would have been this one. If there's a discipline I feel I, I'm personally weakened, it's on this side of prayer. Um, uh, and it comes down to things like this, because it's one of those you know, how much of a difference does prayer really make? And, you know, so many of us, we pray for a certain thing over and over again, and there's no apparent change or there's no apparent difference, which uh, it's, it's very much understandable. Um, many of us, we grow up with the idea that prayer is about results. We pray for ourselves, our lives, and if there's time beyond that, then we might pray for some loved ones or safety of uh, another individual. And we just, in the mindset of, hey, it's, you know, it's about the results of that, and... Uh, as I've gotten older, uh, it's not that that's a wrong view of prayer. It's just that it's a, I think it's a narrow view of prayer. I think prayer is about so much more than that. 
Uh, and there are a number of benefits for us, you know, even when it doesn't seem like, you know, our prayers are making that big of a difference. Uh, one reason, there, I know throughout three, there are reasons beyond this, but I'm going to offer three. One reason is that praying over and over for a lengthy period of time is, it's very much a faith builder for us. Uh, I, I came across, or I was thinking about when Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 6, he writes this, he says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Uh, in the past, I've been in the habit of keeping a prayer journal or a prayer notebook. And uh, if you've done this or you want to explore doing this, you have a page and on one side, one column, you have, hey, here are my requests, how, no matter how big or how small. And then uh, when or as they are answered, you kind of write how that prayer was answered on the right side. And when I've done this, I've realized, wow, uh, not only is God answering more prayers than I realize, but also um, I'm often surprised in the way he does that. And the longer you keep that, you, can, you have this record, this tactile, this tangible record of how God is faithful through all these certain prayer requests that we have. And when I've looked back on that, I've certainly been was like, oh, wow, you know, God is certainly present in this. And I was like, wow, you know, God should be getting the glory. But also, uh, my faith is built in that because uh, I see that, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Oh, that was a surprise. Or, oh, I prayed for that individual for a long time, and here God came through. And as I've looked back on that and relied on that, that's allowed me to uh, rely on faith even more just in my every, every day, no matter you know, how small or insignificant the action or decision uh, might be on my part. So that's been, a, that's been a good benefit for me. I think it could be for other people. And uh, I'm talking about the prayer that's the persistent kind. Uh, certainly many of us, we've prayed for whatever circumstance or person for two, three days max, and then we give up. I would not consider that particularly faithful or a sincere praying. As guilty of that as, most, as a lot of us are. You know, I do think that I think that God rewards persistence in prayer. I think God rewards passion in prayer. And there might be a reason why not everything is immediately answered. You know, if we had, you know, every one of our prayers answered immediately, then I feel God would become little more than an ATM machine. And you really can't have a solid, you know, father-child relationship with an ATM machine. That's just a thought among many thoughts. Uh, Another benefit or another reason to keep on praying is simply God wants us to. God calls us to do this. You know, more than anything, God is a father, and he wants uh, nothing more than to have a relationship with his children. Just, you know, he wants a relationship with each and every one of us. Uh, you know, whenever I uh, teach or study on prayer, I can't help but go to that section in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. Uh, Jesus says this, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. One thing I know about God is he wants to give us what we ask for. But also, if those requests are not Jesus-honoring or they don't benefit the kingdom, then God's simply not going to come through on that. You know, there's such a thing as a selfish prayer. I, I came across this very convicting question sometime in the last two weeks. And this question I came across was, if over the next year you got every single thing that you prayed for, who would be more blessed, you or other people? I like that. And when I thought about that, I was like, oh, wow, you put it that way, suddenly a lot of my prayers are coming off really, really selfish, which we don't always realize. And I, I mean, yes, there are many things that, like, I pray for myself for a lot of things, but there's a selfish type of that. 
And again, if we had time, we could explore that a whole lot more widely. But something else I've grown to understand as I've gotten older is uh, prayer is just as much about our relationship with each other as it is about that vertical relationship with us and Jesus. Uh, and this reason is very inspiring to me. Uh, and that, you know, one thing it does is prayer changes us as we pray on and on and on right. for whatever particular thing. There's a quote that I love from author and pastor Eugene Peterson. He says, prayer gets us in on what God is doing. And when we pray, we get to be God's workers. We get to be those hands and feet. For instance, we can all probably think of a circumstance. You know, we have a family in mind who uh, is going through a season of need. Maybe they have an elderly parent who just is not doing well. Or maybe there's a difficult ongoing illness with another family member. Or uh, maybe uh, they're just in a period of um, just financial stress. Anything like that, we can bring a circumstance to the, of that to mind. And I've had people I know go through things like that, and I pray for them, and as I pray, my heart begins to change. My heart begins to become more compassionate and, and empathetic. So my mind goes to, oh, maybe I can take a casserole or two that they can put in the freezer, or perhaps I can uh, you know, anonymously you know, put a $100 bill in their mailbox, or maybe you know, if they have 19 kids under the age of five, can offer to take them away for a day just to you know, relieve that stress. And if I follow through on that prayer that comes or that thought that comes to mind, not only am, am I working out God's will, but there's a very good chance that God is using me to answer a prayer they've had for some relief or just some or a break or just you know some way for God to intervene. So it's a way for God to work in us, and you get to see you know prayer, our prayers answering each other's prayers, and God's behind all that. It's just this very cool behind-the-scenes sort of thought. Uh, I thought of uh, when James wrote about just the nature of prayer. It, as he wraps up chapter 5. And as I read this, um, just be mindful of not only the vertical relationship, but also just the horizontal relationships that are going on. James writes this, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So there we get to play a part in what God is doing. Uh, lots of benefits, lots of reasons to keep on praying when it doesn't seem to make a difference. But my favorite of those reasons I laid out is simply prayer gets us in on what God is doing. Good. Thank you, Andrew. And I, I think, that, I know that resonates especially with me, because I think about the persistent type prayers that, that I have, I find that a lot of times what I'm actually praying for changes you know, over time. And yeah. the words that I'm using, this underlying sentiment, and I think it's, uh, my hope is that my heart's getting closer to, to God's heart in that, in that process and through that uh, persistent prayer. So I think you know, that one really resonated with me uh, as well. So um, Roger, any additional follow-up thoughts on that? No, my, my only uh, thought is that in many ways, as, as we wrap up our first week of dealing with some of these tough questions, is that, that Andrew's uh, discussion of why, why we don't see prayers answered the way we'd hoped uh, really reminds us that, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus even had that experience. Uh, the, the night before Jesus is arrested leading up to his crucifixion, he, he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I love this prayer of Jesus. He says, my father, if it is possible, 
Let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. You know, you think about that prayer. I, I, I love that, that heart that he prays to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. You see, it wasn't the Father's will for Jesus to be spared the pain that he was going to face on the cross. That was, that, in many ways, that was his request. Father, is there any way we could go to plan B right now? But he still was willing to surrender to the Father's will. And, 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 and the Father, in his wisdom, knew that, no, this is the opportunity to redeem all people, to redeem this fallen world back to me. And so, in many ways, the answer was no to Jesus' request. No, you have to go through with this. And yet, you know, I'm so grateful that Jesus Christ, our Savior, was willing to endure the pain and the hardship of the cross. Because through that, God does redeem us. God does bring us back from our fallen sinful state into a relationship with him. And because of that, we have hope of a better future. But it's all because Jesus was willing to seek not just his will, but the Father's will. During this time of communion, as we're going to have some ushers pass trays of bread and trays of cups that you can participate in taking the bread and the cup to remind you of Jesus dying on the cross, be, be mindful and be thankful, as I am, that Jesus was willing to endure the pain because that was the Father's will. But in communion, we're also told to examine ourselves. And I think in light of everything we've talked about today, I think a great thing for us to examine our own hearts during a time of communion today is, am I someone that's really seeking after God's will? Or have I gotten too narrow and just seeing it from my perspective? And am I willing to really surrender to the Father and his will? as Jesus thankfully did. Think about that as we now take communion together. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for your incredible plan. And, and Father, we know you created this world good, but we messed it up. And, and yet, in your grace, you still are willing to redeem us back to you. And thank you that Jesus was willing to submit to his part in that plan. Help us during this time of communion just to reflect on that and to be grateful. But Father, help us as we take this communion to be able to say in our hearts, as Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. It's in his name we pray.